School starts tomorrow. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm, I'm okay. I'm all right. <clears throat> I know it's bad for you guys. Oh. And I tell you, it's, 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 uh, it's always at this time of year that I, for some reason, reminisce. And as people say, Tom flies. And, and uh, you, they grow up faster than you can imagine, all those things that parents hear. But for some reason, at the beginning of the year, I always think about that. We have, for the first time in our household, a middle schooler. I'm asking for extra prayer for this coming year. He's a good boy. He, he's got a pure heart, if you know our son. He's excited to be in the youth group. He has been welcomed. You have, you have uh, pictured in the youth group uh, what it means to be in this church. He automatically, I know he's the pastor's kid and all that, but I've heard other kids say it, that when they come in, you, it's intentional that you welcome uh, these new kids, and that is way cool. And uh, because it's tough, as you know, going into an environment that that people don't know you and it's uncomfortable, especially when you're growing up in your middle school and high school. So thank you for that. And thank you not just for my my son, but for the others that are coming and probably here in the next few weeks that will increase. So it's it's important. But we we I, I I'm so grateful for our kids and so I thinking about their their childhood and it seems like yesterday that they were babies and crawling around the floor and chewing on the furniture and eating about the lead paint and I'm just kidding uh, uh, but at any rate I was thinking about childhood and little babies uh, yesterday I was with a, a mom and she had this little month old baby in her hands it seemed so teeny and so small. And when you consider babies at that age, they, there is no question in their mind who they depend on. That's why they cry, by the way. You see, when babies are hungry, they don't go, you know what? Hey, mom, if you don't come through, dad, if you don't come through, grandma, if you don't come through, no problem. I'll just pick up a bologna sandwich from the fridge. They understand that you're it. And that's why they say, feed me. They're calling out because they have this pure, what I call, umbilical dependence on that parent, on that grandparent, on that uncle, that aunt, whoever is there, who, the caretaker, the, the foster mom, dad, whoever that is. They understand that that is a, a, there's no negotiating. I think of the early days of creation when it was in its early years of birth the infant years of creation, the early days, the beginning days. And I would propose to you that every single part of creation understood, because they were the first generation, the untainted generation, understood who was at the top, that it was God who supplied everything. And when man was created in Genesis 1.28, in the very next verse, God was smart enough to tell Adam, you are designed in such a way to understand that I and I alone am at the top. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, we've been in this collection called Designed. Let me reinforce the reason why we're speaking about this topic it is my belief that if you don't understand or misunderstand or miss the memo 
of why you're designed the way that you are, most likely you will not grow up into that. If I'm designed to be a certain thing and I don't know that, I'm not going to pursue that. And so we have looked in for many weeks of the things that we're designed. We're designed to grow spiritually. We're designed to be alive. We're designed to depend on God, all these different things. And I'm hoping that you'll that you'll fulfill your life, fulfill God's life in you by living out that design. We have also looked at the counter design. It's not only important to know where you're supposed to go, but it's also, as we'll see again today, what's drawing you away from that. Because if you don't realize that, you, there's, nothing, there's no way you'll fight efficiently against those things that, that draw us away. And so right from the beginning, God wanted to say to Adam, make sure you understand where all of this came from so that I am above everything, and that is the design. Genesis 1, verse 29, right after God created Adam, he said these words to him, I give you, I want you to know, Adam, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, not just a part of it. Take note that he did not say, Adam, check out the cool orange tree. Adam, consider the apple tree. No, he says, I gave you the orange tree. Just want you to know. I gave you the apple tree and the whole earth. And every tree, notice the descriptive language that he uses throughout this whole address to Adam. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures of the, uh, that move on the ground, you feel God sending a message. Everything, there it is, every single thing that has breath in it, God is saying, I give, I give, I am at the top, I am your source, Adam, every green plant for food, and it was so. I'm going to use a synthetic word today, a, create, a word that is, you won't find in the dictionary. The word is aboveness. God was teaching Adam the prioritization of life, that you're going to see a lot of things. You're going to see a lot of trees, a lot of cool things I've made, but I want you to make sure from the very beginning that you have, Adam, a strong sense of aboveness. In the ancient book of Job, which was written actually out, of the, the Bible is not in order, particularly in, in some books. The book of Job was an ancient book written, we think, around the time of Abraham, which is, starts in Genesis chapter 12. And at, you know the story, the bottom fell out for Job. He had three friends who were cynics, and they were accusing Job, and then, and then they all became know-it-alls by the end of the book. And then God shows up in chapter 38 and sets them straight and says, guys, you know just a half a thimble of anything, so let me set you straight. Who made the snow? Where did it come from? Where did the light come from? And just blew their minds. In chapter 38, chapter 39, chapter 40, chapter 41, God says this, May I remind you that everything under heaven belongs to me. Returning to Genesis chapter 1, everything 
belongs to me. Don't forget, fellas, aboveness, aboveness. You see, today I want to draw our attention to the fact that we are created in such a way to worship. And when we use that word worship, it means so many different things to so many different people that it's a time where we come together and, and we sing and we, and we give our adoration to God. Certainly so. But I believe that w- music and art were gifts to us to not be worship in and of themselves, but to express our worship. And worship is not, of course, singing and songs and notes and all those things. But worship, I would propose to you, is this sense that God is trying to teach Adam. It is aboveness. That God, if he is higher than us in a real way, as we'll talk about, not in an ethereal way, because we, we, we kind of are, already know this, but in a real way, this is what we recalibrate ourselves. I need to recalibrate all the time. Like, oh, that's right. I've got to readjust and get back to the aboveness of God. A few years ago, well, actually more than a few years ago, probably a dozen years ago, I went to this, this concert, Michael W. Smith. He's a Christian artist. Uh, he was more popular uh, at that time, a dozen years ago or so. He was kind of the hot item in the Christian pop music and whatnot, and they were going to do a live recording of a collection of his worship songs over in Lakeland at the, at the Carpenter's Home Church, I think is the name of the church. It seats about 10,000 people. And we were at that concert, and it was a neat concert. Of course, they're doing it upright. They got microphones and cameras and everything all around. They've got some cool films going. They had a neat background choir that was singing with Michael. He had this kind of crazed out piano that was cool back then, psychedelic and, and, and whatnot. And so aesthetically, it was a, a wonderful environment. The songs were ones that we knew. His songs were popular. We were worshiping together. There was a group from our church amidst the whole, the, the, the 10,000 people, and, and it was a good worship service. But something happened about two-thirds of the way in. And I don't say it lightly, but it was a supernatural movement. And nothing crazy went. Nobody started, you know, handling snakes or jumping aisles. It was a movement that was undeniable. This movement didn't come because the music swelled. It didn't come because the guitarist did some amazing solo. It didn't, it didn't happen because the, there was a great film. But I promise you, the whole room sensed it. We, it just went up and you could feel this, this movement of God. People started cheering. And it began by some man who walked up to the mic not randomly, it was part of the worship service on stage. And he began to read the words of Psalm 97. It was those words that I would propose that in that moment, as Christians, followers, worshipers, that we had, oh, right, oh, yeah, that's right. And it began with these three words. And as soon as he began to utter these three words, something changed, I'm telling you. And I'm not one for, you know, scintillation and particularly manufactured scintillation, but the real move of the, of the supernatural move of God is undeniable. 
And he began to read Psalm 97, and he began with these words. The Lord reigns. And something happened that I know within myself talking to others after, something happened. It's like, oh, right, aboveness. That there was, we understood again, oh, God is at the top. You see, when we're living our lives in the, in the law that God reigns, you see, truth is such that it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It doesn't change truth. That's why we call it the law of gravity. So you and I, let's say, are standing on top of my house, and you say, you know, I think that whole law of gravity is a bunch of bunk. I just don't, I think it's made up by scientists. I think it's a money-making scheme. I think it's whatever you, you know, I, I think, you know, you know what I'm going to say, right? Well, you first. You test it out. You say, because I, I, I'm believing in it. You can say, I don't believe in it. You jump off the roof. You will believe in it when you get to the bottom. Christ is above all, Colossians chapter 1. He is, all things were made through Him and for Him and by Him so that He will have supremacy. Let's use our word today. So that He will have aboveness. And when we're living in that sense of the Lord reigns, and we're living in that sense of aboveness. I'm telling you, it is the jazz. We feel it. We, we have that sense of it. So when you look at Psalm 97, it's like you could proceed this by saying, if you're living in this irrefutable, immovable, eternal truth, that the Lord reigns, whether you believe it or not, whether anybody else believes it or not, whether you're the only person on the entire planet that believes it, it's true, that the Lord reigns. Watch the next words here, Psalm 97. The Lord reigns, and if you're living there, then the earth will be jazzed. The earth will be glad. Let the distant shores pick it up. Because when you're living in that, if you've experienced that, Man, I'm living in the aboveness of God. That He is reigning in areas of my life. You think, man, it's cool. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. He's driving. I'm not uptight. I'm not worried about the stock market. I'm not worried about Wall Street. I'm not worried about what's happening in the Middle East. I'm not biting my nails. I will tell you why. Three words. The Lord reigns. One word. Aboveness. Whatever is happening it's aboveness. Now, any kind of, any time during the morning, by the way, because this is the quiet crowd, I invite you to go, woo, because that's pretty cool. Thank you. Still moderate. You're still the mezzo piano. There are some times when the response to profound things cannot be a yawn. Thank you. Because I, I wasn't about to stop until I got one. He knows me. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. I'm kidding. No. But there's a problem. There's always a problem. And you hear me say this because, listen, if you don't understand the problem, you'll never fix the solution. 
If you don't understand that there is a designer, but there's a counter designer. See, a good soldier understands, okay, here's the plan. Here's the strategy. But a really good soldier, a really good general will understand here's going to be the counter action against us. If we don't understand why we're being drawn away from aboveness, then we'll miss it. You see, I don't, I don't have to explain this to parents, but for those who are not, let me, let me give you a little bit of clue in here. When the baby is one month old, you're it. And you know everything. When the baby is one year old, you dad, dad, mom, grandma, whatever it is, you know everything because you're, you're it, man. But there does come a point in time. Hmm, I think it starts first year middle school. I'm just taking a guess. <laughs> that they suddenly know as much as you do. And at certain points, they know actually more than you do. And as a parent, listen, from a parent's heart, it is never, you will obey me because I am parent. No, it's never that way. Okay, maybe sometimes. it's, It's rarely that way, but it is this. You don't know as much as I do. And I've made a lot of stupid mistakes, and I love you so much that you've got to trust the aboveness of my parenthood because I'm trying to save you from yourself. And when you're growing up, you don't get that. You think dad's a moron. I mean, he is sometimes, but you you know what I mean. (laughs) So, as we grow up spiritually, we need those times. Where we, okay, let's remind ourselves because it seems so simple and so obvious, doesn't it? I don't think I have told you one single thing this morning that you don't already know. I hope you don't come like, ah, I can't wait to get a new scintillating fact about the Bible. We don't, that's not going to get you anywhere, honestly. It's at times taking the, these profound truths that the Lord reigns and like, okay, here I am. I got I to come back underneath that. You, you know, these shows that come on, these uh, game shows where people win a lot of money uh, and you have to answer questions like uh, Jeopardy. Uh, you know what I like about Jeopardy? I, 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 I like the teen version of Jeopardy because when the teen version, you know, have teenagers on, I know I can get at least five. And if it has anything to do about music and the Bible, I may go seven. But, you know, but I, I, but I love, but what I like more than that is these shows that give you the multiple choices because I got at least a 25% shot at it, right? Like that show Millionaire. You remember that show? Uh, I want to be a millionaire. You want to be a millionaire, whatever. So today, I just play along with me. It hurt less. So just play along with me. Uh, you remember the show? We're going to go to, let, let's say I'm a contestant on You're a Millionaire. Here we go. Who wants to be a millionaire? That's pretty cool. Right? <laughs> so let's say now, and I don't know if you know this show, but they give you a question and, they, and it starts with the, you know, the, and then easy ones and it gets harder as you go. So let's say I've worked myself up. I'm at a half a million. Now you start losing money if you, you get it wrong. So, you, so it's like, do you want to go ahead? Do you want to go? So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead. 
And then now I'm up to the million-dollar question. These are the hard ones. You know what I mean? Like how many teeth are in a whale or, or things like that. Like who would know that? <laughs> and so uh, I'm up to this million-dollar question. I'm like, okay, here it is. And so, and so it's my turn. I'm like, you're going to go for the million? I'm going to go for the million. Oh, yeah, here it is. Okay, give me the question. So here we go. And so, uh, you know, how they do they lower They lower the lights. <laughs> million dollar question. In order to survive in water that is 10 feet deep, which part of your body must you keep above the water? Your elbow? A. B. Your head? C. Your ankle? D. Your knee? So you're sitting there thinking, the answer seems so obvious. It's probably a trick question. So let's just imagine this is water right here. This is the top of the water. I'm like sinking. I'm like, huh, elbow. Uh, maybe. Could be. Old. No. Uh, ankle. Uh, no. Knee. Mm, a little hard. Yeah, I think be it. Gee, it seems so easy. So obvious. I've lost my phone. A friend. 50-50. Ask the audience. Say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to go. I got to go. I gotta go with one now. I'm gonna go with B, your head. And then you find out it's the final answer. Clear enough. Okay, you're thinking, okay, that was really stupid. Don't you think God at some time say, pick B? Who's in charge? Who's over it? And it's so obvious that we think. In life, it's a trick question. There is no mystery. The Lord reigns. How come those are who are in the back? There's empty seats up here. There's no mystery to it. And yet the challenge is why isn't he always in that above spot, I have a proposal for you. It is the work of the counter designer. Many of you know in eternity past, before Adam was created, our enemy, the devil, his name was Lucifer at that time. He began to wear the middle school pants, the big boy pants. Oh, yeah? Starts there. Oh, yeah? God is above Everything, Isaiah chapter 14. You see, God called him out and said, Lucifer, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. And I am done with aboveness. I will be like God. I will be equal to God. There are times in my life that I'm like, no, God, I'm going to be on top just by virtue of my decisions, my actions, my reactions. I'm going to be on top. So the, co the counter designer shows up in the Garden of Eden, as we know. And watch what he says to Eve. 
In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, he said, Eve, that tree God told you not to eat from, you see, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you can do away with aboveness. You'll be like God. See, he was an expert. When Christ shows up and the, and the enemy tempts Christ, he is no longer satisfied with I'll be like God. He says, Christ, if you bow down, I want to be above God. It was just the first step to be that. So we wrestle. We have this same, this same uh, civil war. Counter designer, designer, counter designer, designer. And each of us feels that drift. If you were to interview Eve, how did it feel that day when you decided to go for equalness with God? You see, equalness means commonness. We're all in common here. There's no more aboveness. How did it feel that day? Because you've been prancing around here in the garden with aboveness. Woo! Look at that raccoon. That was from God. Wow, check out this tangerine splash. Oh, that was from God. Everything was about aboveness of God. Interview Eve in chapter 3. How does it feel that you've lost, you've chosen to go against the aboveness of God? And as she was hiding with her husband, I don't know what exact word, but I bet it was something like this. It feels crummy. It feels crummy to have lost sense of the aboveness of God feels crummy. On the other hand, it's so much jazz to be living in that place. Many of you know it. We're like, man, I'm in rhythm with God. I, I love Middle Eastern food. Anybody love Middle Eastern food? Oh, yeah, four of you. That's cool. Uh, Tabuli, falafel, baba ganoush. I mean, they're really wonderful flavors. And there's this place in Orlando that we love to go. It's called Cedars. And um, it's a Lebanese uh, um, uh, restaurant. And, and uh, tabuli is like uh, parsley and mint and onion and tomato. And, and it's just a neat, fresh salad. And they serve this tabuli. I've eaten tabuli literally in many, many places. But they, theirs is the best. And there was this ingredient that, was, that made it different, and it, it tasted, I'm like, what is that ingredient? So I, the last time we were in Orlando, I said, I'm going to go home, and I'm just going to start experimenting, because I make my own tabbouleh. But I was missing this ingredient. I thought, what is it? Is it ketchup? I mean, I don't know a lot about ketchup. No, definitely. Was it dill? Was it, what, was it dried uh, uh, coriander? What, it, what is it? So I started doing some research. I spoke to my wife. I said, because she's a great uh, uh, cook, chef. And I said, what is it? And she goes, you know, you could try this and this and the other. And then she goes, you know what? You might try za'atar. Have you ever heard of za'atar? It's in the lower end of the uh, spice rack. You know, it starts with a Z. It's down there on the bottom, za'atar. And uh, it's a, it is a Middle Eastern type spice. And so sure enough, just a few weeks ago, I made my tabbouleh. I put it in there. I put it in the fridge, you know, let them get to know each other, everything in there. And then I brought it out, and I'm like, that's it. Zatar. That was the end. That was the ingredient. And I was like, here, taste this. I don't want to taste it. Come on, taste it. I don't want to taste it. To the kids, taste it. No, no way. But I'm like, oh, you're missing out the I found Zatar. 
You get excited about weird things at our house. All right. It's awesome. And there's that all like, and here's what I want to say. That the Christians I know, many Christians I know are missing that, whoo, that jazz. Because I know that's layered and there's a lot of things in the spiritual life. But if you were like, what is it? How come I feel such a, a so funky as a Christian? I, I feel like I'm in a funk. I don't feel like the guy's back there in the back going, whoo, how come I don't, whoo, have that? It's a tar, spiritually speaking. It's aboveness. That when Christ is above, you think, oh, man, that is cool. Lose your life, Jesus said, and you'll find the Zatar. It's the missing ingredient. It's the missing ingredient. I would propose to you that this is worship. Putting Christ at his place that only he belongs. Putting the head where it belongs because if my answer is A, elbow, you know what happens? I drowned and I lose a million dollars. If I don't put Christ in his rightful place, I lose. Now, I very much dislike leaving things in an ethereal, conceptual uh, level. Like, okay, I, I'm following you. But when I get into my car and put the key in and turn it and go home, what does that mean practically for me? This is where we're going to go. Because I believe that worship happens far, way earlier than us arriving in church. It happens in your cubicle on Tuesday morning. It happens when you're in front of your computer at 2 a.m. when nobody's watching. It happens in many, many different ways so that when we're reading about worship and God is in His rightful place, it's not just about singing. It's only the expression of our aboveness. And so let's take a few of these. For example, does God reign in your decisions, in your choices? Does He have aboveness in your choices? What do you mean by that? I mean, if you're a businessman, do you have ethical practices? Are you, do you have an, an ethos that is fair, is Christ-like, that puts others first? I, I, we were at the, uh, the, uh, the Willow Creek Summit, a satellite of that, listening to some of the greatest uh, leaders, uh, uh, most uh, present leaders in the world, CEOs, pastors, uh, the CEO of Hewlett Packard, of uh, GE, uh, the uh, pastors, Louis Giglio, Bill Hybels, many, many different pastors. And one was a businessman. He, had a, uh, he owned a huge car business, and he spoke about the emergency fund that he set up for his employees, that every employee gets $3,000 per child for a college. Uh, he, he said, I want Christ to be part of my decision-making in my business. Some people, I mentioned it a few weeks ago. How many men have I talked to? They said, man, I got a job promotion. Fantastic. Has Christ been above that decision? I mean, if you get a promotion, you get more income. Fantastic. Go for it. That's how life works. You start young and you start lower and you, you, you work yourself up. But if it draws you away, 
man, I'll never, I'll, I'm only going to be in church for a few times a year. Or I'm just be once a month, or I can't get in a small group. I can't go further. I can't disciple. I can't do any of the things that is happening in my local church. But I got this job promotion. You got to ask yourself: Was Christ at the above that decision? This is why John in John chapter 14, Jesus asked this question: Hey, if you love me, if you want to worship me, you will obey what I command. The things that I'm talking about, the things that I'm priority. You know, the Bible word is obedience, but I don't use that word because when obedience like, yes, sir, I'm going to do it that way, that lacks the love that I think Christ is saying. If you say you worship me and you say the Lord reigns, then you've got to do what I'm saying because then we'll be in sync. Watch this. Luke chapter 6, 46, Jesus asks another question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you come in a worship service and you're singing the word Lord, which means I'm in charge, I'm above everything, and don't do what I'm talking about, I'm not what I'm saying. Let me address the students in this room. You're getting ready to go back to school tomorrow. You have decisions to make. Will Christ be above those decisions? On a Friday night when you're sitting in a circle, secluded, and they're passing around the whatever, whether it's, in a, whether it's in a bong or a bottle, let's just be real. Will you say, hey, man, no judgment on you, but for my life, Christ is above. Will there be times when those of you that are dating, will you keep that relationship pure this year? Because whatever other people may be doing in their cars and in their relationships, you say, no, I'm going to stand above because I through an act of worship, I'm going to put Christ above my relation, my, my dating, my decision, my purity. I'm not going to put it above God. I'm going to put God above my decisions. It is fabulously difficult. When I was in middle school, I hung out with a kid named Brian Arnold. Brian Arnold was a PK, a pastor's kid. He was the only kid that I knew where the Lord reigns. We played in a, in a band together. He, he was a sax player. I was a keyboard player. And when I hung out with Brian, my life, I, I began to come closer to God. The most fatal decision I ever made was early high school when I decided that I didn't want the kid where Christ was above, that I wanted the other crowd because the pressure was too much for this coward. And I followed that and I paid for it for at least seven years and probably seven more trying to climb out of the hole. Decisions you make as a youth can wreck the rest of your life. Let Christ be above them. If you were my child, I'd take you by the shoulders and you'd see tears running my, down my eyes. Say, for Christ, for Christ, for Christ. You could change the world of your high school or your middle school if Christ is above your decisions. You could. And so could we as adults, could we not? Is God the Lord of your decisions? When someone ticks you off, you have a choice, a decision. Am I going to put Christ above? Is there aboveness in the way I react even when people are being prickly and cactusy? Another synthetic word if you didn't catch it. 
Because in that moment, the counter designer was like, go get them. Put your feelings first. Put your reaction. Put them in your place. And God is saying, put me in my place. And let me help you with that. Because there are times, man, you know how it is, when you just want to let somebody have it. Come on, somebody say yes. Thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one. That, that you want to let somebody have it, but there's, you know what? That wouldn't be Christ first. That wouldn't, and then you don't. You, do, you go against that counter design. Then you don't. Doesn't it feel awesome? How come it feels crummy when you just let them have it? Because God is not above, period. How about this one? Does the Lord reign in your relationships? In other words, is there any relationship that you are putting above God? You know what happened in the garden? It was Eve who was deceived by the enemy, the counter designer. But it was not, by the way, the counter designer, the enemy that deceived Adam. Adam fell because he put his wife above God. Adam fell because he listened to his wife above God. The number of men in our church culture who have been domesticated because, okay, honey, I, I, we'll go with you. I know you got upset at the church bazaar. Do they still have bazaars? <laughs> Everything's bizarre in the church, what I'm saying. I know you came home, you're, you're ticked off. I know, I, I know all that, and, and we're not standing for it. Okay, honey. The number of times. See, God has designed us men not to say, you are going to do it my way, but he has designed us that when our wives are that way, I'll get to the husbands in a minute. We're more moronic, so don't, don't, don't get upset. When, when we're, our spouse is that way, to lead them upward where Christ is above we're dying for it in the church culture. Dying for men to be men. We're dying for men to have aboveness so that if my wife says, you know what, I'm not going anymore. I am. And I want to lead you to the place where you're with me. Same thing for men. There are times when the woman has to say, Look, we got to get back on track here. You should be leading our home." And if the man, because I know it's a sensitive topic, you may be a wife here and your husband is not with it or he's not, he's not come to Christ. And Christ would say, okay, but I've got to be above your husband. I've got to be. That's the only way it's going to work out. You cannot put your spouse above, nor your child. I know that, again, I'm going to step on toes, but I'm not paid and I'm not here. I'm not hired to make everybody happy. I'm here to speak God's truth and let him do with it what he might. You can do with, you know, you can tar and feather me afterwards, but that's the way it rolls. My kids can be in, in sports until they say, well, I can't be in an act group. I can't come to church. I can't do this. Now my sports, now my kid is up here and God is down here. Just yesterday morning, I was going to play, it's boys day, Saturday morning. We're going to play hoops. I'm going to play hoops with my boys. 
my oldest son, middle schooler, comes in my office. He and I are early risers. Dad was on his knees praying. He said, Dad, let's go. My other one was sleeping. He's a sleeper in her. <laughs> Knowing that I was going to spend time with them. Don't miss the point. Knowing that I was going to spend time, I said, um, Ty, Daddy's spending time with God right now. I'm spending time with God, so I'll come and get you when I'm done. You see, I wanted to teach my son, not just by theory, not just by a sermon, but I'm in here making God above. And as much as I love you, you will not be above God. I'll take care of you. I'll spend time with you. I'm not going to spend time with God and not spend time with my kids. Come on. We're not talking about that. But I, if we taught our kids and they could visibly see and touch, wow, God's above. Not all the time. We're not perfect. But man, he's swinging hard to make God above. This is why Christ said these words. Watch the descriptive words. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me. Supposed to love my mom. Supposed to love my father. Supposed to love my kids. But Christ has said, you can't put them on top. Sports, wives, husbands, doesn't matter. Anyone who loves his father more than me is not worthy of me. The word wor worship is worship, by the way, in the old English. Anyone who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Our decisions, our relationships. Now we get to the two that are very difficult. If you didn't think those were already. Our time. Is God in charge of your time? If I had a dollar for every time a person said, man, I don't, I don't have time to pray, man. I don't have time to pray. As we're standing in Starbucks, by the way. I don't have, I don't have time to serve in the church, man. I, I, I'm busy. And you know what they say. If you want something done, go to a busy person. Because sometimes, somehow they find out ways to do things. I don't, I, I don't know how, I, dude, I, no way I can get in a small group. I can get in that group, man. It's, it's uh, you know, twice a month at four hours. Woo, that's heavy. And in those decisions, the simple question is, was God part of those decisions? You see, one of the greatest challenges that we face as, as believers in Christ is taking the time to pray. I'm going to ask you an honest question, but before I do, let me reveal myself, be transparent myself. I experienced this this very morning when I walk in my office early in the morning. Now, last night, I passed out at 9 o'clock, and so what that means, I usually do six hours of sleep. I'm up at three. I got a lot of time to do what I need to do. So I walk in my office. I got a chair here where I kneel and where I sit and I spend time with God. And then I got headquarters. You know, the mothership. I got, you know, the, the emails. They're crying out for me. Every morning I come to my email box. There's 20 to 30 in my inbox every morning. I got somebody that sent me some things. Hey, I edited this. Let's see if we can get to the printer by Monday morning. It's, it's screaming my name, Steve, come here. 
I've got text messages. I've got voicemail messages. I've got clutter. I've got that I could clean up. I've got a uh, half-eaten apple that was looking pretty decent at 3 in the morning. I'm like, hey. I gotta, you know. I got, so I, I come into my office, and it's like designer, counter designer, God headquarters. What is it? On this very day, on this very day, this morning, that struggle of God being above my time. And sometimes I choose headquarters and I'll sit there and doodle on the internet for 20 minutes. And I feel the conviction of God. Steve, you don't need to say anymore, God. I got it. Show of hands, how many share this struggle with time, spending time in prayer? I want you to hold them high and keep them high. Look around the room. You know I'm doing this? You're not alone. The, code, the counter designer says, you're not. You know how he does. And we feel so alone like the little antelope that gets off the path and they're, you know, that, you know how it goes. See, Jesus, he was fully God and fully human. We don't get it. We, we, don't, we can't fully comprehend that. But what we are told is that he went out early in the morning frequently. You know why? Aboveness. Aboveness. I can't face this day, God, with aboveness. I won this morning. Christ won. Not every morning, but this morning I went in and I said, man, there's so much I can do. Dude, I got like a few hours. I cannot. I sat in my chair and I said these words, honestly. God, I want you to be above my time today. And when I sit down, and when that thing comes in me, I'm, I love to-do lists. I use Basecamp for some of you to know. I have, I'm working on a project with 180 checkpoints. 180. And I've got 95 of them done so far. There's something the way I'm wired that when I check it off, there's a rush of endorphins like, whoo, boy, I feel good about that. Of that checklist of 180, I need to have 181 so that the top one is God in prayer. This is why Jesus prayed all the time. And because of that, because this little middle school comes in and sees dad on his knees, because the disciples saw Christ, saw Christ on his knees, they ask, teach me to pray, Luke 11. And so Jesus in Luke 11 was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, hey, can you teach us to pray just like John taught his disciples? And he said, sure, no problem. When you pray, pray something like this. Don't repeat the exact words over and over. Come on. But when you pray, pray something like this. Our Father who is above us. Don't forget, He's at the top. Hallowed be Thy name alone. That's how you start to pray. That's why you're drawn to pray. I'm a fighting Martha. You know Mary and Martha? She was in there. Uh, you know, I think her last name was Stuart. I'm sorry. It's really bad. <laughs> These cranberry scones are wonderful, Jesus. You might have to skip.
Mary was sitting at the feet of Christ. The rice was boiling over in the kitchen. Martha comes in nervous. She's got 40 more things on her base camp to-do list. And Christ says, you know when he says your name, like perk up when he says it twice. Uh-oh, Martha, Martha. Is Christ saying to you in the morning, Sam, Sam. You can hear his voice. You have to hear the voice of Christ in the words. These are not just printed words. He's saying, Martha. Martha, come on. You're worried. You're upset about everything. But only one thing is needed, and Mary's chosen what is better, and it's not going to be taken away from it. One of the things that we heard over and over in this summit these last two days, power, powerful leaders in the world, international leaders, India, Uganda, uh, uh, from the America, from the United States, all over, a repeating theme was this, great leaders have humility. Great leaders have humility. Jim Collins from Good to Great, top of the list, interviewed 11 of the top CEOs in the country. At the top of the list, the quality that they had was humility. But finally, after the end of two days, Louis Giglio, who knows Christ and loves Christ, he finally said it. And when he said it, I'm like, Edwin, like, that's right. He said these words, humility is not a character trait to be developed. It is a byproduct of spending time with Jesus. That's it. We'd have far miles and miles and miles and miles of less conflict in the church today if we didn't try to be humble. You know how that is. If I try to be humble, then I achieve it. I'm like, hey, I'm humble. And then I'm not humble anymore. But then it doesn't come. It comes sitting at the feet like Mary did. And then humility, finally. Is Christ over the decisions that you make? Is he, does he have aboveness? In those decisions, does he have aboveness in your relationships? Does he have aboveness over your time? And I'm going to stand behind this chair before I say the next one in case you throw something. Does he have aboveness over your money? Your money. It is the tangible. It is one of the primary tangible expressions of worship. I can sing all I want to sing, but Billy Graham reminds us, let me have five minutes with a person's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. Not how loud they sing and how in harmony they are. Not how many tears roll down their face, but let me see the bottom line. Jesus said something very similar. Where your treasure is, your heart is going to be its bed, buddy. Just like that. You see, because we work hard and we earn and we're in a capitalistic country, thankfully, because that's the principle of the Bible. You plant, you reap, you get, you get. That's the way it is. But because of that, we're reminded from Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, why do you have, that? what do you have that you did not receive, even though you think you worked for it? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? I'm reminded 
in Genesis that right outside of the garden, Cain and Abel came. And Abel had this sense of aboveness. It's so cool. For those of you that are already turned off because I used the word money, listen, listen. It's not a bad thing. Listen closely. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a heart thing. It has nothing to do with budgets or church buildings or lights or utilities or salaries or any of that mess. It's about your heart and God, period. It's about aboveness. Is Christ going to have aboveness in how you spend your money and how you give? So, and then we think, it's, oh, it's such a good thing, but it's the parent, the ancient parent saying, oh, it's got a heart, it's got a hold, it's mastering you, and there's no jazz. You're feeling crummy, aren't you? You're giving 3%, and feeling, but you're not, there's no jazz there. So Abel comes out, and he's getting, get, he's getting ready to offer God. And can you imagine, he's like, he's, he's like, oh, man, I'm going to take the best, and I'm going to bring the best of my product to God. And he's, he's like, oh, there it is. Oh, that's a, that's a beauty right there. Oh, wait. Oh, there's a, oh, here's a better one. I found the best one. God, I bet he was running that day to God. God, here it is. You're above. It was an act of worship. Cain, on the other hand, said there's one that's one breath away from dying. It's going to be no good to me by Thursday. Hey, God, here it is. God says to Cain, if you do what's right, son, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And I love you too much not to speak that truth to you. Your counter designer wants to use this. And I'm telling you, it's a plague in the Christian culture. This spiritual issue of not giving, of not tithing. It's a spiritual issue. Your counter designer desires to have you. Doesn't that make you angry? It does me. My enemy wants to have me. Oh, God, be above me. Please, quick. And he wants to master you. Wants to master you. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses said, hey, you might say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Dude, I'm the one out there working nine to five, not God. But remember the Lord your God. Remember he is above. It is he alone who gives you the ability to even drive the work. He's the, he gives you the health. He gives you everything, your hands, your eyes, your feet, your every, everything. Your intellect, your reasoning, he's the one. He's, don't forget, little baby, teeny baby, we've grown up, big boy pants. That's mine. I don't know why I said that with a southern accent. <laughs> That's mine. God said, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. No, it's not. No, it's not. I know the issue of, of tithing is a sensitive issue for some. In fact, there's a, I wrote a paper, about an eight, nine-page paper. If anybody wants it, I put some copies at the info desk. And prayer, too. We have one there for prayer. But here's the point. You see, I love the tithe. I didn't always. But I love the tithe. You know why? Because there, there are times where I'm like, well, I'm going to take my 10%. I'm going to give some here. 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 You know, 
Who is making the decisions? You are. The act of the tithe, that's why I love it, is an act of worship. Like the apostles, they came, they, the early church, they came and laid their tithe down at the feet of the, their, the, the, the apostles. And they thought, you, no, trust, I, God's above it. Somebody after the service said, I, I know sign language. This is the sign language for above, above. I said, well, here's mine when it comes to the checkbook. Here's my sign language for above. <laughs> Hands off. The tithe is such an act of beautiful worship to say, I'm laying it out. And I'm not going to control where it's going to go. I'm leaving. It's, God, you're above all of that. This is why I love David. David had more jazz with God than anybody in the Old Testament. And watch his attitude. Then we'll move on. Watch. First Chronicles 29. Getting ready to build this epic temple and all these materials came in building materials watch David's heart watch it closer than anything you're going to watch on TV this tune in right here to David's words David says to God but who am I God and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this you see God you're above it all everything the words that Job used, the words that God used in Genesis chapter 1, 29, everything God comes from you, and we've only given you only what comes from your hand in the first place. Oh, Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for your building, your temple for the, your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. He's, you know what he's got? Zatar. I meant... Zatar. Thank you. In other words, he found the ingredient. All this stuff, massive, more than we'll ever give in our lifetime. And Christ was above it. Christ was above it. That's why he was jazzed. So we enter into worship, and we're going to worship some as we close our time. At the end of the Pentateuch, which was the first five books of the Old Testament of the Bible. We find ourselves in the book of Deuteronomy. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is giving his last speech. And he says, I'm going to leave you with a song. A song. Fascinating. That song is found, if you want to read it later, in Deuteronomy 32, the end of Deuteronomy. But in Deuteronomy 31, he, as musicians say, was introing the song. He was going to tell them about a song. And he says these words as he's setting up the song. He says, now, you guys are going to get ready to move on. I'm going I'm, I'm to die. This is the end of the road for me. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Write down this song and teach it to the people. And have them sing it in a worship service. So that it may be a witness for me against them. See, most time I don't think people come into a worship service and think, boy, I can't wait to sing that song. That's going to be a witness against me. These are tough words, but what God was saying, in the midst of the worship service, there are times I'm stirring your heart to say, I hear what you're singing, but there's a misalignment. And the decisions that you make, I'm not above them, perhaps. 
Or I'm not above the relation things that you have going on. I'm not above your mouth and what comes out. I'm not, a, I'm not above what happens for you on Friday night. I'm not above your checkbook. I'm not, a, I'm not above the decisions you make when you're at 2 a.m. and you're in front of your computer and nobody's looking. I want to be above that. I want to be above your time. I want to be above, see? And there are times when we're singing, times when I'm singing, I'm like, oh, God, is, uh, uh, he's stirring me. He's disturbing me. And God said, that's cool. Don't run from it because it's coming from a loving parent who wants us to experience, new word, zatar, the ingredient. And so, so Moses says, it's going to witness against them. Verse 20, when I brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors, when they eat and have their fill, and they thrive. And now they got their big boy pants on. I can get my own bologna sandwich. Thank you very much. They will turn to other gods. And they will worship them. And they will reject me. And they will break my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, They'll try and try and try their best to get out of it. When their country seems to have economic fragility, they'll blame it on the economy. They won't think, hmm, maybe God is not above our country any longer. When things are happening of a, one of the highest levels in history of immorality in our country, Maybe we'll just explain it off and instead of saying, well, maybe God's not above this thing any longer. And this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. Now, when I was sitting in my office this week preparing for our time together, when I read the next words, I wept deeply. God said, because I know what they are disposed to do. I know that the, the multiple choice answers are so stupidly obvious. The answer, the million dollar answer is so obvious. But I know the undertow of the counter designer. And I'm going to tell you what they're going to do. And they did. When we come to worship, sing together, there are times when God is stirring and saying, I hear what you're singing, but I want to be Lord. I want to be above it. Are your relationships pure? Are your eyes pure? Is your language pure? Is your, are your conversations pure? Is your time dedicated, committed, all those things. And God's, and I would say to you today, embrace it. Embrace the uncomfortability. We're trying to cush ourselves so much in life, right? You, you, you never buy a recliner that's old and hard. You want one that's new and cushy. And same in our spiritual life. We want to cush. I would say to you today, embrace it. If God is like doing his thing in there, say, God, this feels so awful. Thank you. I know it's weird. Thank you. Because I know it's coming from a loving heart that you want me to get the spiritual ingredient, the aboveness. 
Sometimes in worship, after God does that, you may be sitting here saying, okay, I got it. God, in this time of worship, I'm committing. I have been half-baked for too long. You've got me right there in a sense. And in that moment, do you know, you know what God says? Woo! That's what God says. And His is much louder than yours, and it's got a lot more passion. In that, in that time of singing, that is an act of worship. The invitation of this, an act of worship. The okay, God, I'm in, is an act of worship. And some of you may have areas in your life where God is really above it all. Worship is also a time of thank God, thank you that you lifted me above this, and it's a time of celebration. Different layers for all of us, all different. That is what we do when we come in and we worship. But at the bottom of it all, it's about aboveness. It's a checkbox, yes or no. So we're going to worship. I'm going to actually call the band to come up. The prayer team is going to be in the back. These open uh, rows are here for you to pray. Can I, can I ask you something? Can we put away our shyness and our bashfulness and our egos and if you want to come to pray, I'll be sitting up here. I'm, I, I'm praying this morning. I'm praying and weeping. I'll probably be praying and weeping again. <laughs> Don't be ashamed of that. If God is moving you and disturbing you, celebrating in you, we're not going to ask who it is. I invite you to come down. So, there are times in our faith where it is proper to move and to act and to say, God, by me walking down here, I, I, I recognize you're disturbing. By me walking down here, I recognize that, that I'm, I'm promising you something. By me walking down here, I'm affirming, God, I'm celebrating with you that you are above. Whatever that may be, you may go back to the prayer room. You may go by yourself. You may take somebody with you, pray with somebody there, pray, go outside in the backyard and pray. Well, it, it, let's loosen up a shade because God is looking for change in us. Listen, there's so much talk about this country is going heading south. Do you know what change could happen with God's people if he were truly above? Oh my goodness. Revolution, revolution, revolution. The jazz would be so contagious. Does the Lord reign today. So we're going to pray. I'm going to actually give you some time. I know you've just heard a lot of my voice here. I'm going to give you some time. Uh, Joel is going to play here. You can go ahead and start, man. And I'm going to give you some quiet time. And then I'll, I'll pray after that just briefly because I've taken enough time. And then if you want to move to these places... You can pray where you're at. No, no, uh, no pressure. I'm not trying to be a, a, you know, to twist your arm. But I would urge you. I would urge you. Listen.
over this room, God, in many different layers. I pray, Father, our ego would not be a barrier to the movement that you're calling us to. Thank you for disturbing us. Thank you for those who are disturbed. Thank you, God, for those who are promising right now. And thank you, God, for those who are celebrating. God, as we continue, help us to be that little baby that understands that you're it. We give everything to you, God. So I, I just in our time of worship, I pray you'll move pe- your people, God, to find that, that ingredient of aboveness, whatever that may take. I ask this, God, as we continue to pray and continue to worship, 